welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who won't be booking his next vacation with Harry Maguire. His name is Taylor <laughs> Rockwell. Hello. I mean, I have always wanted to know what the inside of two, inside of two different Greek jail cells looks like. But yeah, I oh. think aside from that desire, I'm going to just go my own way next time. So what's he done, Taylor? What's, what's Manchester United and England's Harry Maguire done? Uh, it seems like vented all of his frustrations at the past year in one night of drinking. Uh, he <laughs> was on vacation in Mykonos uh, with some friends of his, it seems. They were uh, at a bar, according to reports. They get into an altercation with some other British uh, holiday makers, is what I think The Guardian dubbed them. Uh, I guess tensions flare over. There's a bit of back and forth. The police arrive. That turns into a bit of back and forth between the police and some of the people involved, including Harry Maguire, according to reports. There's some punching. There's some kicking. Harry Maguire allegedly ran away, but then was captured later on. Uh, was, oh, so there's a, there's a joke to be made there about his lack of pace. Well, yeah, yes, there is. Exactly. Well done, Daryl. Yeah, at, at least we know that. And uh, there were many <laughs> jokes made about how many headbutts he must have thrown. Since you know, Aaron, Lo- Aaron Long, Long would have got away. He, he definitely would have. That, that did lead to the question of, like, what if he'd gotten away and instead of joining up with Man United for preseason, he's just some wanted fugitive trying to make his way back to England across Europe. That's a sitcom I'd watch, Daryl. It has yeah. to be a sitcom, though. It'd be series. called Harry Vigilante. <laughs> oh, does he become a vigilante along the way? Yeah. He just turns. It's, it's basically the Punisher and me, Terry Maguire. It's more like I don't I don't know what the Punisher is or does, so I can't comment on that. But the show <laughs> the show I have in my head is that he has to sort of uh, it's almost like the littlest hobo. Like he has to move from town to town and he helps solve a problem, but he has to move on before the police catch him. I think that's also the plot of the Incredible Hulk. So yeah, either one of those, either one of those is fine. Uh, but yes, is still currently in jail. Has been moved to a different Greek island, which is the administrative center. We expect him to be released in the next day. At least his lawyer says that. But it sounds like we'll be charged with aggravated assault. So who knows where that will go? What it does mean is that Oligano Solskjaer probably has a headache. Oh, so it's so English, so English to go really and get is. in trouble over there. Oh, all right. Let's move on to. Uh, more exciting things. I just uh, have to assume that it's because there aren't many English people participating in European competitions anymore. So Harry Maguire had to keep the English <laughs> streak of European participation alive. <laughs> That's all. Let's move on to the Champions League final, sure. Taylor. It's this Sunday. It's three o'clock Eastern. You can watch it on CBS Sports Network. So that's pretty much regular TV. It's cable, basically, right? CBS All Access, you can stream it. Univision and Today NA. So you've got go. a good chance of watching this game, listener. Um, it is PSG against Bayern Munich. The runaway winners of Ligue 1 and the Bundesliga for the last few years. Finally head-to-head in a European final. And it, it's, I've seen some people say this is the most excited they've been for a Champions League final. I, I th- think that might be overstating it a little bit, but it does feel, it's the first time in a long time that I feel like we can guarantee that goals are going to happen, which probably yeah. means I've guaranteed that it's going to be nil-nil after 120 minutes, but I don't <laughs> see how we don't get goals in this one. So we're going to talk about this as like, things to watch for, or things we're mm-hmm. excited for, or things we're watching out for. And I want to start with what you just mentioned, Taylor, which is the, this, this is two teams that both really go for it. Right. Fair enough. Right. Yeah, like absolutely. Both defensively, they both they both step high. They're willing to be stretched. Um, attacking, they send numbers forward. I mean, obviously in the league, because they're so dominant most of the time. But even in PSG's semi-final against RB Leipzig, I, I went back and watched it today because I wasn't able to watch it because I was on the road um, in midweek. And when Leipzig tried to build out of the back, PSG really step. Mm-hmm. It's like a weird lopsided press, right? Well, they'll keep the fullbacks, but half the midfielders go join the forwards and they're very high up the field. 
And I can't see PSG thinking, oh, we're playing Bayern Munich. We're going to have to have a whole new, more conservative approach. I think this is going to be a shootout, basically. Yeah, I agree entirely because I just don't. It's not a thing we've seen from either PSG or Bayern Munich uh, lately, or like even in recent memory. And so, yeah. to me, it doesn't make sense then to change up your approach entirely. I think PSG are probably the ones more likely to make specific adjustments, not even go more defensive, but just sort of try to play upon some of the vulnerabilities in Bayern's approach. From what Hansi Flick has said, they have identified some vulnerabilities uh, in themselves and in PSG, and they will look to address those, but it does not sound like they're going to change anything too drastically, which to me does mean that we're going to get a high-intensity, back-and-forth sort of game, where I think probably individual mistakes are going to play a big part. Uh, I think a lot of runs behind are going to play a big part, and hopefully goals are going to play a big part. Speaking of runs behind, it would it would kind of make sense if PSG if if Thomas Tuchel did have a whole tactical rethink. Mm-hmm. What if he watched the first twenty minutes of Leon versus Bayern Munich and thought, "Oh wow, Memphis Depay had that chance where he hit the side mm-hmm. net in right, and Mbappe hit the hit the post, and they were both counter attacks with rapid forwards." Like the, it would kind of make sense if PSG decided we're going to Leon this, we're gonna we're gonna defend and counter. Yeah. But it's not I mean, going to happen, is it? That's, there's not. no way that's going to happen. I mean, I'll say this. If it were to happen, I think uh, it would go even more poorly than trying to just like press Bayern for 90 minutes because you're trying to do something that you have not done throughout the season that you don't have that much experience with. So it requires a ton of training and a ton of familiarization that I don't think they would have in time to then deal with Bayern Munich, yes. who are incredibly adept at figuring out so, any sort of vulnerabilities. So PSG trying to lean on it would be very similar to Barcelona trying to Atletico Madrid exactly. against Bayern Exactly. <laughs> all right, well, Taylor, you, before we get into all the, mm-hmm. all the little things that we're looking for, you mentioned what Hansi Flick, the Bayern coach, yeah. has had to say. Did I hear you right that he identified weaknesses in his own team and then told someone about them? What's happening there? Yeah. I mean, it's it's one quick quote uh, I saw pulled because, you know, I don't speak the German. Uh, his quote is, and then I will, I will give you my analysis of the quote afterwards. Uh, we know PSG has fast players. We have to organize our defense differently. We didn't defend the space behind the defenders well versus Lyon, and I didn't like the stupid losses. Uh, we need to improve before <laughs> the game against Thiago, PSG. It really is. It's pretty much like he like turned and said that to Tiago and then turned back to the interviewer, basically. Uh, we need to improve before the game against PSG. We know that our greatest strength is putting constant pressure. Uh, so my kind of three takeaways from that were that, one, PSG has fast players, and we will need to do better about defending the space behind our defense, specifically out wide, I would guess. Two, we gave the ball away easily against Leon, and that must improve, and I think that's a big, 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 big part of what he's talking about. And three... We're not really going to change that much. <laughs> we're going to continue to apply pressure. We're going to go at them. We're going to make them uncomfortable. But we're going to make some slight adjustments, maybe yeah. just to make sure that we're not so exposed. So when he says organize differently, this doesn't mean he's going to he's going to pep it up and go back no. three or something, right? But what do you think he means by or, we're going to organize our defense differently? Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if so. Michael Cox, writing for the Athletic, uh, did a great breakdown of sort of where PSG might try to gain the upper hand, and a lot of that was in relation to Bayern Munich when they uh, step, they sometimes step in a moment of transition for the opposition. When the opposition are sort of transitioning into attack, then Bayern will try to step forward to catch the other attackers yeah, offside. and usually quite effectively. I always think they mm-hmm. have a really good disciplined offside line that's been quite effective. I think like like he uh, Michael Cox goes through and finds some moments when it wasn't, but I think you could probably find oh. moments when even the most disciplined he would. defense He has would, wouldn't he? Yeah, that picky, exactly. picky Michael Cox. 
Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but I think maybe it's about sort of gambling slightly less. Uh, again, though, I, I think what, what I keep coming back to in my head, though, is – like if you try to change things in a way that like okay we're going to do all of the same things but this one at 10% less like it just still it makes your players think they have to adjust a little bit more they're having to kind of figure it out on the fly a little bit more so i just i can't see bayern no longer doing that i can't see them sitting in or dropping deeper or yeah. not having that sort of stepping forward to try to catch people offside maybe the, it's just how they do it and the regularity with which they do it Okay, so let's call this one of our things to watch out for. Mm-hmm. When PSG are in a transition moment, as in PSG yep. have got the ball and they're running at Bayern, I think you're right. I mean, it's just a fact that you will often, against most opposition, you'll see Bayern um, aggressively step their defensive line a little higher mm-hmm. and try and catch you offside. I think a thing to watch out for is in those transition moments, do we see Bayern say, not today, let's, like, let's be a little, a little more conservative here and we'll drop off and try and contain mm-hmm. you rather than risk having Mbappe and Neymar slashing through our offside trap. Because one of the, I think one of the great things about Mbappe um, is that he's so, he's really good at timing those runs and obviously so quick. He's actually very good at breaking an offside trap. So Mm -hmm. maybe it is worth buying, um, not all the time, but sometimes just thinking, okay, the job here is contain rather than the more aggressive step and and get an offside call for us. Um, Another one with that, like, I don't know if this would be like a sub- Point to you, your thing that you're going to keep an eye on, but another thing there I think would be about where Bayern Munich's fullbacks line up, where, mm. how forward they get and how often they get forward, I think is another big part of how they deal with what PSG are going to be trying to throw at them, because uh, I will say, this is a thing that I had in my notes, but Michael Cox also talks about, so I don't want it to be seen as me cribbing from him or anything like that, but where I think Bayern can get themselves into trouble is when, say, Alfonso Davies gets forward and is then trying to get back really quickly. What I think can happen is when he's trying to cover back to make sure that he's in the good defense position sometimes that can be when that line is stepping or sometimes it can be he has to just adjust a little bit and that's where say Tokokambe is able to be played in because Alfonso Davies is trying to get back and then find the right position and so I also want to see if we see Kimmich if it's him if it's Pavar if it's him uh, we assume it's going to be Alfonso Davies on the other side how regularly they're getting forward because again that's been a feature of Byron's attack so I can't see them not getting forward at all but do they get forward as often as early as quickly as readily that I don't know my guess would be yes especially for Alfonso Davies because I think a big thing in his game is he basically he gets back quickly right he often (laughs) employs his speed to be high and wide on the left and offering a real threat and that's what Bayern Mm -hmm. like to do to threaten the opposition but when there's a turnover I've seen him sprint back and join that back line and it's mighty impressive how how disciplined and how quickly he is about getting back there yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and he's got the pace to make up for it. I think that's a big thing they rely on. Same thing with Alaba. Uh, then the question obviously becomes, as has been repeated, sort of ad nauseum, does their pace match what Kylian Mbappe will offer? Uh, because you're right, he can break those offside lines. He can do it from deep. He can do it from just hanging on that last defender. But do you then back your players to have that speed to catch up if they are in a little bit of the wrong position? I think, honestly, I think what we learned um, against Leon is... Mm-hmm. Even with the sort of impressive amount of pace that Bayern's backline has, it's still like when there's a through ball, it's still that the defenders have got to turn around and chase yeah. it, whereas the attackers have a head start because they're already facing forwards. So mm-hmm. it actually doesn't matter who would win in a foot race if they just both started from the mark, like in the Olympics or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the attackers always ha- slightly have the advantage, or at least can create an advantage if, if defenders have to turn around. 
Yeah, I mean, because and if for no other reason than because if you're the attacker, yes, you're focused on scoring the goal, but it's that sort of secondary in the moment too. I'm tracking my run, but then I'm making sure I'm onside when that ball is played. Like your sort of end goal is just make sure that you're running onto the ball, and then you can create yeah. from there. Whereas if you're the defender, it's am I in line with my other defenders, but am I kind of covering the space I need to be to cut out options? Am I tracking that runner, but am I yeah. paying attention to the ball? There's a lot more it's, to think about. Exactly, and I think that does always put them at a disadvantage if you're in that sort of yeah. turn and go defensive style. <laughs> you're dragging around a big old checklist, a big defensive checklist, <laughs> <laughs> and it can weigh you down. Um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit, but sure. to talk specifically um, about PSG's front three. Sure. Now, PSG have all kinds of attackers, but I'm pretty confident, and correct me if you've heard any injury news, that the starting front three against Bayern will be the same as the starting front three against RB Leipzig. It'll be Mbappe, Neymar, and Di Maria. Do you, mm-hmm. do you concur? I concur. Uh, Mbappe had had been dealing with an injury, but he starts against Lyon. I'm going to assume that he would start here. I don't know why he wouldn't. Yep. The only other thing there, uh, Di Maria back from suspension, obviously, in the last leg, is fine to go this time. The only other thing was Neymar swapping shirts with, I believe, Halstenberg from Leipzig in their semifinal game. There was some speculation that that was against the rules, so could he get suspended? Could he have to quarantine? Because it's technically two teams sort of transferring germs. It does not seem like that's going to be the case. So yes, Daryl, I'm with you. That front three will probably be that front three if it's a front three because i also wouldn't be surprised if it's a wide front two with neymar sort of doing well, whatever he wants this is one i want to talk about because sure. i find that front three fascinating you, yeah you okay. can call it um yeah a front two of mbappe is like the left center forward and di maria is the right center forward with neymar just behind as a number 10 or neymar can poke into the middle and mbappe is like a left winger and di maria is a right winger or they, or they can all do like a musical chairs thing and Mbappe, Mbappe's up on the right and mm-hmm. Neymar's out wide left and Di Maria's in the middle. And they, they constantly interchange in a way that I think is, is really, really effective. I, I think it's, a, it's part of the danger of PSG is that they've got three really clever players in, in the front three that are willing to, to rotate their positions a little bit. Although I would still say the classic is that Mbappe is highest Di Maria is to the right and Neymar is sort of between the opposition defense and midfield looking to collect the ball. I do think that front three is going to be fundamentally important, obviously, because it's a very good front three, but also for the reasons that you mentioned in terms of their attacking versatility. That, yeah, I think Neymar will probably be the highest most of the time. I think Di Maria tends to You think to Neymar the will most... be the highest most of the time? Excuse me, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Mbappe. I meant to say Mbappe. Um, and then I think Di Maria will do the most defensive work of the three, in that I, I tend to see him kind of dropping in on the right-hand side and being almost a 4-4-2 style defender. Yes. Uh, but I think the fluidity that they've sort of developed and is integral to their attacking performance will also mean that they're sort of all over the place. And I won't be surprised if Mbappe goes over and creates an overload and is five yards away from Di Maria. I won't be surprised if Neymar drops very deep, but then sometimes is the highest player on the field. I think they are going to have lots of different looks and lots of different moments to try to throw off Bayern a bit more. And it all works together really nicely, I think. And this is why I'm thinking there's no way Icardi or Chupamoting or anyone starts this game instead. Like, killing Mbappe on the shoulder of the last defender pushes the defenders back a little bit and theoretically mm-hmm. opens up a bit more space between defence and midfield, which Neymar can exploit, right? And then Di Maria is like nice and... I think he's a really sort of clever little player, right? So he can exploit any space that is out there on the right. And when I think of Neymar in what you want to call like zone 14, you know, between the lines, between defence and midfield, magnificent as Bayern are or is, I don't think of any of their starting midfielders as classic defensive midfielders, right? It's probably going to be mm-hmm. Thiago, 
and Goretzka. It might be uh, Kimmich might be in the mix if Pavard starts at right back. But unless Javi Martinez is starting in defensive midfield, they don't have a purely destructive um, defensive central midfielder who's going to uh, like stick to Neymar and make life really difficult for Neymar. They're not going to have Boateng or Alaba step out of the back four and follow Neymar around, right? Because then you just create massive holes that Mbappe is going to run into. So I, I'm interested in how Bayern attempt to contain Neymar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the same thoughts about killing Mbappe for slightly different reasons. Do you want me to go into those or should we take a moment to talk about today's sponsor, Daryl Grove? Let's take a quick break. Okay. All right, we are back. Taylor, what, mm-hmm. what did you want to talk about? Please remind our listeners. Uh, I wanted to talk about, in the same way that you're wondering sort of how Bayern will deal with Neymar moving around because they don't have the dedicated defensive midfielder. Do they have somebody step with him? Do they just sort of let him do what he wants? I think that's equally fascinating when it comes to killing Mbappe because of that pace. And I really just want to know if we can see the obvious signs of Bayern being overly concerned about Mbappe's pace. That if we sort of constantly see them checking to see where he is and they're always kind of pointing it and making sure somebody's got him and they're always giving him that sort of cushion to make sure they can handle the pace, if they're overly focused on him that probably limits his effectiveness but obviously that means there are other opportunities for other players i would argue that we've had this conversation and that the thing that they will do differently is not always step and try and catch him offside they'll that's probably true they'll respect the quickness Mm -hmm. and they'll (laughs) and they'll back off a little bit and maybe try and contain instead of trying to spring the offside trap the interesting thing for me is if it's mbappe up against jerome boateng because we know Jerome Boateng has had what keeps being referred to as muscular problems, yeah. right? And he's he started all of the recent games, but he's also come out of all of the recent games. I think since the Chelsea game is where he picked up um, this problem. So he's not fully injured and he's too important not to start, but there's definitely a problem there, right? And yeah. what, what I'm thinking is there might be a moment where Jerome Boateng has to... Uh, stretch himself to 150% of effort to keep up with Mbappe. And those muscular problems might uh, be exacerbated and he might even find himself in trouble. We could see Nicolas Sula running up and down the sideline. Yeah, very, very early. Um, (laughs) I want to say two things there. First of all, if you're a Bayern fan and you're wondering why we're only talking about PSG, I do plan to talk about what Bayern Munich will do. But as we said, I think a large part of it is that we expect Bayern to do what they've been doing and therefore it's incumbent upon PSG probably to change it up a little bit. But with that said, the second thing I want to talk about when it comes to the way PSG are going to attack is a a thing that I spotted in both the Barcelona game and the Lyon game as a thing that Bayern don't seem to do very well with, I think it's because they tend to be very narrow when they're setting up their defensive approach. And when they drop in, they stay sort of narrow. Yes, obviously, they're going to send people out wide if that's where the, the, the ball is. But if you go back to the Barcelona game, that goal comes from a ball out wide. The defenders kind of can't handle it. And then from like... Th- it's I can't remember the exact like space or there needs to be a term for it, but it's that like it's 30 yards from the end line, but it's out in the channel. And then you can kind of like whip that ball in and b- try to bend it around the defense. You know what I'm talking about? Darryl? Yes, I do. That's I can't, the I can't think of a name for it either, but I do. Yeah, there should be one, though. It's like the, the, the threatened zone, <laughs> the wide threat zone. That's terrible. I got to do better. But anyway. Um, the bendy it's, zone. It's, I'm calling it the bendy zone. I like the bendy zone. <laughs> the scary bendy zone. Well done, <laughs> Daryl. Um, but, but that's where the own goal comes from against Barcelona. They have a couple other chances that come from that sort of get the ball wide, then get it back in central. And even Leon have chances there. Boateng has to cut one out. Alaba 
really does the exact same thing as he did against Barcelona, just this time he turns it out for a corner as he was trying to do against Barca. Yeah. But it's the exact same setup. He deals with it better there, but it is an area where they do end up having to rely on sort of individual moments to get that ball clear. Yeah. And so if PSG And that's the brilliance say, of Bayern, right? Is that mostly mm-hmm. they pull it off. Exactly. But if you have, say, Mbappe spread wide on the left and PSG sort of overload there and then swing it back to the right and there is that open space in the bendy zone to play it back in and now you've got runners coming in from the left to kind of crash on goal with the, with the player with the time to play that ball in and not be under pressure I see that being an area of vulnerability for Bayern because PSG have proven they can capitalize on those balls in I tell you you've got me paranoid that we haven't talked about Bayern's attack enough so let's okay. uh, let's pivot to Bayern's attack um, that's fair. Are you with me that it's probably going to be the same? It's going to be Perisic on the left, Serge Gnabry on the right, but given license to Robin, um, mm. <laughs> Lewandowski, Thomas Muller underneath, and then probably Thiago and Goretzka as the two holding midfielders. And then obviously width coming from, I'm going to guess Kimmich is going to start at right back and Alfonso Davies um, at left back. And when I say width, I mean extra width. Um, yes, and I agree with most of what you said, except for we've already established that it's Levin Golski. Thank you, Thomas Muller. Oh, uh, yes. I want to talk and, about this. I want to talk about this because I, I oh think boy. I've got some good analysis of this um, okay. that I texted to you a few days ago. Um, oh, yes. So Levin Golski is a terrible pun, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not good. It doesn't work. Um, but in German, goal is Tor, T-O-R. Yeah. I think Thomas Muller has been making this pun in practice in German where it's Levin Torski where it actually sounds like his name, but with the word for goal in there. And I think maybe Muller was uh, translating it for, the, for an English press crowd. And it, didn't, it I, didn't quite work. A lot of puns don't work when you translate them for obvious reasons. I mean, so that is a possibility. The other possibility would be that it's just a dry English press and they don't appreciate the genius of Thomas <laughs> Muller. Or if we're sticking with Thomas Muller being a genius, I also wouldn't be surprised if that was like Andy Kaufman levels. I'm going to make you uncomfortable and tell bad jokes just to see what you do. Because <laughs> Thomas Muller seems like he would enjoy so, some of that weird comedy of Andy Kaufman and, and people of that ilk. Well, normally he's doing weird things to make defenders uncomfortable just this to see true. what they do and <laughs> opening up space um, for teammates. Do you see him doing the same mm. thing um, against PSG? Yeah, and to some extent, what we've already talked about with PSG is what I think Byron will do as well, that we've seen uh, Thomas Muller go over and overload one side, uh, oftentimes where it's Serge Gnabry, you'll see Thomas Muller five yards away from him, sometimes you'll see then Gnabry go central and Muller stays out wide, or he'll drift off to the left, and it will be Perisic, if it is Perisic, who goes central, but yeah, I think his movement is designed to pull people out of position, obviously, but then open up space for others to occupy. And what I've seen is him vacate that number 10 spot, but then Robert Lewandowski will drop in, but then Muller will loop around, or he'll go wide, and Gnabry will try to get into that space. And I think it's a lot of movement to open up small gaps that then become bigger gaps that then become goals. Here's my thing about Muller as well. The thing I'll be watching for is how much defensive work is he going to have to do? Because mm-hmm. he does seem to most often operate in a sort of attacking midfield slash striker slash drift wide just exploit the space wherever it is and cause trouble he's such an unorthodox footballer I can't really name another footballer that has the same um key skills as Thomas Muller mm-hmm. um it's it's rarer that you see him have to drop in and sort of form a three-man midfield with the two midfielders behind him but I would argue that he might have to do that against PSG yeah I mean j- simply because they 
more than any other opponent, and that's strange to say about PSG in relation to Barcelona, but I think it's true, have more attacking threats, more consistent attacking threats that offer you more variety in their approach. So I think you cannot gamble on, well, this has worked in the past. I do think you have to have a little bit more sharpness when it comes to your defensive responsibilities, because otherwise, yeah, you could have an overload. If, say, Verratti does start, we know that Verratti can do the defensive job, but then help transition and help trigger attacks. That, to me, means, yeah, he's got to be more mindful of, of who's in that midfield if it is Verratti or even if it's somebody else. And I, I noticed uh, Paredes was ha- having a lot yes. of success passing through the lines uh, for Leipzig. Uh, Kimpembe, the defender, a lot of success passing through the mm-hmm. lines. Thomas Muller's job is going to have to be defensively to make sure those passing lanes aren't open. But what scares me is Kimpembe and Paredes, or what would scare me if I was a Bayern fan, is even when passing lanes are closed, they seem to find like a, an easy pass express lane. <laughs> <laughs> and slip it through. I've been traveling so, on 95 today, by the way. I, I, I noticed that, and I appreciate <laughs> the analogy. And also, I hate 95. Um, Daryl, so is it fair to then say that if we do start to see, say, Thomas Muller dropping in more because Paredes is on the ball and keeps having time, so we need somebody to cover him, if you have Bayern having to do that sort of thing or having to adjust just a little bit, or maybe Lewandowski is dropping in deeper because he's not on the ball as much, like, do you think if we see Bayern adjusting slightly in those first 20 minutes, that means that... PSG are sort of having the upper hand because by forcing Bayern to no. do things differently, you are disrupting their game. I mean, I, I go the other way with this. I think if you don't adjust, then you're an idiot, right? I think if you're mm-hmm. not trying to shut down PSG's method well, of getting the ball into Neymar's feet or getting the ball forward, then you're doing something wrong. Let me put it this way, though. What I mean to say is that what can happen if, say, Thomas Muller is meant to be not saying he necessarily is, but for purposes of this analogy, if Thomas Muller is that number 10, the transition point who you need to be in a specific area of the field to make that attack happen, to have that link-up occur, and he is now dropping 10 yards deeper, there is him doing the defensive job and putting out those defensive fires. But simultaneously then, if you regain possession and you're looking to play through him, but he's now 10 or 15 yards deeper, it limits the effectiveness a little bit. So I guess what I mean is, if you're doing more defensive stuff, it does come at a price of potentially making it harder for you to do the attack attacking things that you want to do. I, I'm not sure that's the way that Thomas Muller works, though. He's not... Um, for some reason, the the the, uh, the player that comes into mind is like Diego Valeri for Portland. Like, he's not the player... <laughs> or even say Neymar for PSG, right? He's it's not high the price. player... It's high praise for Thomas Muller. He's not the number 10 that you need to get the ball into his feet because that's where all the attacking ideas come from, mm-hmm. right? I think he can do... He can block off defensive work. He can come and even join the other midfielders and be deeper than usual. And then when by an attack, it goes wide... Um, and he's got time to sort of, you know, ghost into the box and perform his Muller mm-hmm. hello. So it, I think more than anyone, Thomas Muller, <laughs> it's not a player that you need to get the ball into his feet. The Serge Gnabry goal, um, for example, is something he was heavily involved in without ever touching the ball. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. I also love him performing his Muller hello as though it's like an operatic piece. But I know <laughs> what you mean. Um, yeah, okay. So then maybe what I'll say is... I think I agree with you, by the way. I should say that first. But if we do see that moment of somebody tries to play the ball forward and then we see them both look at each other like, hey, you're not where you were supposed to be, then maybe that's a warning sign for Bayern fans. But I'm with you that I think that aside, it's probably not as big of a deal as it might be with other attacks. Let me take us back to Thiago. So you mentioned that um, there was a reference to um, giving the ball away, which Mm -hmm. is what Thiago did for that Memphis Depay chance. And I think we noted this on the review show, right? That Thiago gave the ball away to Kakare, right? Um, Mm -hmm. and was high up the field, which meant he wasn't in his usual designated position of being just ahead of the two centre-backs to provide a bit of a screen. So one thing I'll be watching out for is, is Thiago told to anchor it a little bit and just stay home a little bit more than he otherwise would have? 
which is really interesting. He's going to be on a right? leash, because, right? Yeah, it's going to, yeah. which is a shame to see. But I'm, I've got a feeling he'll still manage to produce some sort of quick acceleration magic. I love watching Thiago receive the ball and just change direction quickly, and no one knows where he's gone. So since we focus so much on PSG, I will say I think what I am landing on is one of the biggest factors in this game is how do Bayern Munich make those little adjustments without being overly rigid? Yeah. Because I'm with you that everything that Hansi Flick has said and what we saw in some of those chances for Lyon, it means that Thiago will probably want to stay central, be told to stay central, do not vacate that space, do not give up any opportunities for counterattacks that you don't need to give up. But simultaneously, if PSG are marking the other options in midfield, there are those times when it's incumbent upon the midfielder to then drive forward and try to pull somebody out or try to create some space or find an opportunity. And like if he has been told, do not move, you can't leave there, then it's him just kind of shuffling the ball without really be able to, being able to create. So again, I think it's about how do you make those little adjustments without preventing or yeah. presenting the opportunities for the opponent. It's all about tweaking things just the right amount. Right, yeah. like the, uh, mm-hmm. the the dropping instead of stepping for the offside line. If you do it just the right amount, it can be really effective. If you do it too much, then you're just massively on the back foot. Right, um, mm-hmm. the Tiago thing. If if it it's essentially on him to just be sensible, essentially to not take too many risks, but still to have a massive influence on the game because he is that he is that Busquets player that you know you don't notice him, but when you uh, but when what is it when you uh, when you watch the game you don't notice Busquets, but when you mm-hmm. watch Busquets you see the whole game. Tiago is exactly. that player for Bayern, very very. Uh-huh very often so he's got to still exert his influence without getting caught out of position honestly i think it's possible to do but it's this yeah it's a finely balanced thing it's a tightrope they're going to be walking um, and for and- liverpool fans i just want to jump in to say who are then wondering like but if he's so important and so good why are they letting him go from everything i have heard i can't remember if we talked about this on the review so i just wanted to mention it here from everything i've heard it's that they want him to stay they do not want tiago to go it's just that at this point he feels like maybe there's another challenge out there he wants to try something different uh so seven it's, years it's right not- he's got the seven year yeah. itch which I kind of forgot that he's been there that long. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Marilyn Monroe move. There you go. Exactly. I mean, yeah, follow suit and I guess wear a white dress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and stay away from the White House if you can. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think like, so he remains this very important figure for them and I think will be on the day. The other important figure, I have a question for you about Bayern Munich, Daryl, is like it's a, it's a very ge- generic question that I think we don't often like answer that I am sort of curious in is like, Hansi Flick takes over this Bayern team when they're in a moment of crisis. We were there. It was crisis. Uh, and now here they are coasting to the Bundesliga. They've made the Champions League final. They seem like this dominant team. And I think for me, like, I still, I know Hansi Flick is a good manager. I have seen him get this team to play as well as they have. But he's not, st- he's still sort of like that interim manager in my mind. Like, he hasn't moved up the rankings of, like, where the best managers in the world or something like that. I don't want to have that conversation. The conversation I want to ask you, or the question I want to ask, you is if Bayern Munich make these little adjustments and if they are able to basically play the way they want to nullify PSG's threats do you see him as like a a world-class manager a very very good manager a manager that you would want at any other club or like or is he already there for you I think he's already there for me but it's Mm -hmm. on so little evidence and with such a really strong team yeah so I think beating PSG with little tweaks I think would put him over the top for me yeah yeah, I think so too. It's weird just because it's it's the it's the I don't even know what it's called, the poison chalice, whatever, of like you win the Bundesliga, it's like, yeah, okay, so you did your job, now win the next thing. It's it's yeah. they're basically both in the exact same position of they've both sort of done what was expected. Uh, I would say Bayern more of a challenge because Dortmund a little bit stronger and yeah. also because PSG don't play a full season. 
But with that said, it still feels like both of them need to win this Champions League to really cement their coaching reputations, both Thomas Tuchel and Hansi Flick. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Okay, I've got cool. one more player I want to talk about, sure. um, and it is uh, Robert Lewandowski. So one thing I'll be watching for is... Lewandowski. Lewandowski. Sure. Is he going to have his third game in a row where, in my opinion, he doesn't shine, he doesn't do anything like super special yet still manages to be just a key part of like the hard-working system and gets a nice goal at the end to, uh, exactly. to put the icing on the cake. Because hasn't, it hasn't been like some magical Robert Lewandowski moments and he's like destroying people like, uh, like say, uh, Lukaku was in the Europa League um, up until mm-hmm. today. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? There haven't been those games for Lewandowski and yet he's still been really important. Yeah, and, and and to some extent, I wonder if that's because defenses have focused on him so much because of his goal-scoring record and because of how good he's been for Bayern that it then creates other opportunities yeah, for other players. For sure. And now if you're PSG, if you're like, okay, we've got to limit the effect of this to Serge Gnabry, we've got to focus on Thomas Muller, we can't let Alfonso Davies get into good attacking positions, and if you focus on all of them, does that then leave him open to be like, oh, okay, well then I'll just go back to scoring three goals in a game instead of just <laughs> the one. Anything else you want to say before we move on, Mr. Rockwell? Yeah, I, one one like little tiny nuance thing. I think like Barcelona were able to sort of I think identify their space in behind. We can hit on the break. We can find moments of awkwardness for the Bayern defense that we can capitalize upon. Yeah, Leon too. But I think what I, but I think what we said. Would you say Leon did too? Yes, exactly. But I think what Barcelona at least did that. Like my analogy when we reviewed that game was like it was like they hit on seventeen in blackjack and just happened to get a four, and thus they got blackjack twenty one. <laughs> and from then on, they hit on seventeen every single time, even though statistically it's not going to work. And I think they got stuck in this: we can play it in behind, we can find that space. But Bayern Munich made a few adjustments there, and that wasn't really effective anymore. And I do think for PSG, it is fundamentally important to not just do the same thing every time, to not just look for Mbappe over the top or uh, Di Maria out wide. You do have to change it up a little bit. So if they can have moments of five minutes or ten minutes when they're possessing and slowing it down and trying to kind of probe and find space and find opportunities, I think that variability is also going to be really important for PSG. Yeah, that's a good note. That's a good note. So once again, the game is Sunday, 3 o'clock Eastern, CBS Sports Network, CBS All Access, Univision and Today NA, and Mm -hmm. a big old review from the Total Soccer Show Sunday evening. That is correct. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for this final. It's going to be great. No matter what happens, I'm just sort of excited for it in a way that to bring it full circle, like no disrespect to Atletico Madrid, but we know what they're going to do. We know how they're going to play. And the question is always like, how do you break that down? And with this team... It, I won't be surprised if this matchup, I won't be surprised if it's 5-3. I won't be surprised if it's 2-1. I will be surprised if it's 0-0. And I don't <laughs> think we could say that about many, many other finals. Don't you even dare curse it. Don't you <laughs> dare jinx this game. Um, before we move on, Taylor, today's show is sponsored by Artifact. Artifact right. creates personal podcasts um, so you can essentially capture memories or stories or any other kind of thing that you want to record. Do you have any um, any other examples of types of artifact that people can create, Taylor? I, I We did not talk about this beforehand, but I appreciate the setup because, yes, I do. I was going to say, like, we're going to talk about Sevilla winning the Europa League again. If PSG or Bayern win it, maybe you want to preserve that memory. Maybe you want to <laughs> talk to some like some of your fellow teammates, get them on record about how we made this happen, what we did. Maybe you, maybe Thomas Tuchel wants to preserve his <laughs> his story for forever, Hansi Flick the same. So you could go that route and, and sort of preserve a narrative, preserve a season, preserve a team even. If you have an amateur team and you want to, like, like remember the season that was, you could go that way as well 
I'm not going to pretend that I can't hear Ellie in the background. So I, I also <laughs> would say we've talked a lot about how people would use an artifact to, mm-hmm. you know, have memories of family members. Family members can be dogs as well. I think sure can. memories of dogs recorded would be a fantastic artifact. Um, I think George would really enjoy talking to one of our dogs over the line. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> so the way the artifact works is when you um, employ artifact, essentially, mm-hmm. they uh, you tell them what type of thing you're looking to set up, who you want them to talk to, and then artifact will schedule it and arrange it. They'll do the call. They'll record the audio. They'll edit the audio and they'll put it all together. So it sounds like a nice public radio piece. And then they will send you the final file. You get to sort of, you know, give it a give it a once over. If there's anything you don't like or you want to mess with, you can you can change it up. I did that. I changed a couple of things at uh uh, at my request when I did mm-hmm. I did my artifact about cancer with, with George. Yeah, I thought it was weird that in the initial recording you left in all of your banking information. That was <laughs> odd. I don't think you needed to do that, and I don't think we should have put that out publicly. No, especially not the, the security code on the back. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and you mentioned the professional, uh, like the sound, the good quality of artifact. Yeah, you won't have barking dogs in the background, for example. <laughs> not to out ourselves or anything like that, but yes, it is professional, it is lovely sounding, uh, even if the person you're talking to isn't. They'll make them sound good. That's a guarantee. I'm not sure they're willing to back up. Unless you request dogs barking in the background. Some people that could like, be. Some people like that, that could kind be. of thing. Um, <laughs> if you go to heyartifact.com and use the discount code TSS, you get $40 off your first artifact. That's heyartifact.com, discount code TSS, $40 off your first artifact. And if you want to hear our artifacts, you can go to heyartifact.com slash TSS lower case um, and you'll hear taylor and i talking about setting up the show and there's also one with my wife and i talking um about our i guess cancer journey i guess we're going to call it mm-hmm. um but it really was very nicely put together and i'd be happy for anyone to listen to to either of those as would i uh one of them is slightly lighter than the other one so you know just prepare yourselves accordingly <laughs> yes we took the tss one very seriously we did it was <laughs> it was it was it was a dark day it was harsh <laughs> All right, Taylor, we've got lots of little news items to get to. We do. Um, First up, though, let's Mm -hmm. talk Europa League final. That works for me. Because it just happened. We're recording this basically just after the Europa League final. Um, Or, as it should be called, the Sevilla Trophy. Sevilla won (laughs) the Sevilla Trophy for, I believe, the sixth time. A 3-2 win over Inter. And a joke that's already been made many times, but I will reiterate here, is that it does feel like normalcy is returning to 2020 with Sevilla winning their their tournament. Uh, and sadly for Romelu Lukaku, it comes at his expense, which also feels like a Romelu Lukaku heavy touch is sort of the norm from a couple of years ago. So maybe that also fits in, too. And then Englishmen causing trouble um, in, yeah, exactly. in warmer climes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> should, should we start with the winner then? So it's uh, sure. Diego Carlos, the Sevilla mm-hmm. centre-back, who had started the though? game by giving away a penalty by essentially rugby tackling Romelu Lukaku um, outside the box and then all the way into the box, which was the the real weird part. Um, But let's get to his moment of glory first. Diego Carles' overhead kick, which Mm -hmm. I don't think was quite on target in a Tyler Adams kind of way. And I think Lukaku just instinctively um, put a foot out to try and block it. And unfortunately, it was the outside of his foot and it ends up in the back of the net to make it 3-2 to Sevilla. Yeah, which, like, to give him a little bit of a break here, when you're in that position and you're trying to defend, you're not, like, taking the moment to look behind you and make sure, oh, this is actually going wide. Like, you you have to kind of gamble on, this could go in, and I've got to try to deal with it. I just think he doesn't really have the time to deal with it effectively. Obviously, that's the case since he ends up putting it into his own goal, but I don't really fault him for trying to do something with it. I just think he maybe could have done a little bit better with it. I think, honestly, anyone who's defended 
at mm. any level of soccer where there are points on the line, you know the sort of just quick reactions you make in the box when things happen like that. Yeah. And you know it's always better to do something. Almost always better to do something unless you're 100% sure that that thing is going wide. Yes. Yeah. I think I just, I think I agree with you. I think I especially just feel bad for Lukaku having already made jokes about his first touch and such earlier, just because he gets the the penalty, he earns the penalty, he scores the penalty, he looks very good in the first half. In the second half, he just looked really frustrated from start to finish. I think Sevilla, I can't even say what they did to isolate him aside from just kind of tighten up and not let him get on the ball as much, but I think he was really, really, really frustrated from most of that second half. And I, and I felt so bad for him near the end. You could just see on his face that it was a very different emotion from the first five to, or ten minutes to the final five or ten minutes. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the final five or ten minutes, um, so Alexis comes off the bench and there's a bit of a Gomez scramble. Yeah. Pokes his foot at it and it's cleared off the line. Do you think he could have done better with what I think was actually a pretty good chance? Uh, I th- well, again, I think it's that sort of instinctive in the moment you're just trying to make something happen. And maybe if he can replay that one, yeah, he takes another touch and tries to make sure he's got sure footing before he then cuts back and finishes a little bit more calmly. I don't really fault him in the moment because it's that scrambling. You're just trying to make something happen. But at the same time, yeah, a, a gentle toe poke that might not even have crossed the line, even <laughs> if nobody had gotten to it, yeah. is probably not going to make the difference. It would have needed a strong breeze to get over the line. Yes. Yes. Even if there was no one there. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to Sevilla. Um, as I understand it, and I do understand it, um, this puts them in the Champions League for next season because they did not I think they finish. already... They did not? No, okay, the didn't. commentators were saying they both had, but they might have just been lying. Oh, maybe I was wrong. I'm going to... Um, I'll tell you what, keep talking. They finished, they finished fourth. I've got it. They did? Uh, okay. Yeah, they finished fourth on 70 points. Uh, Atletico also had 70, but uh, a better goal difference. Oh, okay. I'm, excuse mm-hmm. me. That's where I got... Confused. You're forgiven, and I think that actually puts Lille into the Champions League is what the commentator said because of uh, if you don't have a winner going in, then it goes to like the next highest team, which potentially means Timothy Weah in the Champions League. Ooh. We'll see what happens there. Um, and Jonathan David, because Canadians rule the Champions League. No. Um, I actually, I'm, I'm really confident that um, what it means is Sevilla get an extra life in the Champions League next year. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah, you can get knocked out in the round of 16 and you just get put back in. The better question is, do they want that? Or do they want to finish third and go to the Europa <laughs> League next year so they can just keep this alive? Because <laughs> I, 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 I believe I, I have not fact-checked this. I saw this on Reddit. Uh, so, you know, it's got to be reliable. But uh, since 2013, if Sevilla make it to the Europa League knockout round, they have faced 26 teams. They have won 25. Wow. Or they have advanced past 25, yeah. I should say. That's not bad. Not too, That's not bad at all. Not, too not bad at all. Oh. Credit to Slavia Prague. Not the team you would have expected to be the one to get the result. <laughs> okay, some news, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Anthony Robinson. Yep. American left back. Mm-hmm. Is going to be in the Premier League next season. It is now official. He has signed for Fulham Football Club. He's going to be a cottager. How about that? I mean, every time we start to maybe think they're no longer longer full America, they pull us back in. Just when Luca De La Torre seems like maybe he isn't going to end up breaking through and we can't have multiple Americans there. Or Marlon Fossey maybe a little bit delayed yeah. in breaking through. De La Torre's we left, have another one come in. De La Torre's gone. De La Torre's gone. But I think Fossey's still there. And definitely Anthony Robinson is now there. Which there means we, we could see Fulham line up next season at some point with Tim Ream at left center back and Anthony Robinson at left back. Mm-hmm. Let's get Christian Pulisic on loan over there. We've got a whole left side. <laughs> it is. Um, it is Let's not be, do that. It is going to be tough for Anthony Robinson to establish himself as a starter, I think. Because even right. though Fulham were apparently really impressed with him um, in the championship, there was a quote from Tim Ream that both times they played Wigan, a lot of Fulham players came away saying, 
Ooh, what a player. Um, but for those who saw the uh, championship playoff final, it was Fulham left-back Joe Bryan who scored that wonder goal and I believe scored another goal. So their current left-back is in pretty high standing at Fulham right now. So it's not as if Anthony Robertson's walking into this first team. But that's really not how the Premier League works, is it? Most Premier League no. teams, um, unless you, you're coming in as a super expensive player, you have to fight for your spot. So I'm going to enjoy watching Anthony Robertson fight for his spot. I agree, and I would I would like to say, forgive me, I didn't do the, the research to fully back this up slash know the names I need to mention, but I believe I'm correct in saying that the last time Fulham uh, were promoted is when they spent all of the money. They lose one of their key performers to, I believe, West Ham on a free, and they kind of go out and sign various players to try to make up for it, but I wouldn't say players that they either have the familiarity with that they needed or have the Premier League pedigree. Not saying Anthony Robertson has the Premier League pedigree, but it's a player that they have played against. They know what he's capable of. They know what he's going to bring into the equation. And I think maybe this is also a sign that Fulham are being a bit more realistic yes. in their approach this time, as opposed to going out and signing a 35 million, uh, 35 million pound uh, for, like French left back and hoping it works. Yeah, like sorry, right? The, the defensive yes. midfielder they, they mm-hmm. brought in. Um, yeah, I mean, Robinson was available for, I think we worked it out at 1.9 million was roughly his yep. Um, his relegation release clause. So this is a, a smart little investment. And I think definitely there's is. definitely worse things than um, Anthony Robinson whipping in crosses for Mitrovic. Yeah, I'm, I will be fine with that for sure. <laughs> um, more more US fullback news. Mm. Former US right back Steve Chirundolo. Um, ah. We saw him in Germany in October and he was just finishing up, I think, some uh, coaching courses, right? And he, he seemed like he had, a, he had a lot of very smart things to say um, about his coaching philosophy. He has been named U15 coach for the German national team. That is right. Uh, so we are excited about that. We're excited about any time an American uh, takes a coaching job abroad. I do think that uh, he like maybe has an eye on a more senior position as opposed to U15s. No disrespect there. Uh, but I imagine that maybe we'll start hearing his name touted with other vacancies, maybe closer to home, uh, because he has the, the sort of name recognition, I think, still, uh, at least he does for me, uh, that I would like to see him coaching teams in the United States. So we'll see if that happens. But for now, I'm sure the U15s in Germany will be pleased. There's, uh, for example, US under 17 job, I believe, is still open after Rafael. Are, aren't all US coaching jobs charging. pretty much open? <laughs> Quite a lot of them are, yeah. Quite a lot yeah. of them are. All right. A coaching job that's not open is head coach of Curacao because right. Curacao are now coached by Korean legend Goose Hiddink. Korean legend, Rus- Russian legend. I, oh, Turkey legend? I forget how that one went down. But yes, now Curacao legend goes hitting. Uh, Curacao, already sort of getting scary, now getting even scarier. Yeah, so it's, it's, I mean, it's great to have, he is the international journeyman coach, right? Yeah. But obviously with Curacao, there's all the Dutch links. So he's already culturally at home. And I've got to think he's going to have some connections that might be able to tip him off to some Eredivisie mm-hmm. players who maybe aren't making the Dutch national team squad anytime soon, but are Curacao eligible. I wouldn't be surprised if my joke about Curacao getting much, much stronger, ready mm-hmm. for World Cup qualifying, um, comes true in the next uh, in the next few months. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's not dissimilar from... 
uh, German Americans born in Germany, lived in Germany their whole lives, but have that connection if they feel like Germany aren't going to call on them, are going to maybe look towards the United States. Same thing. Yep. I think if you don't feel like you're ever going to get a call from the, from the Dutch national team or if you're looking at sort of a position that's occupied by Virgil van Dijk or Frankie de Jong or Matthias de Ligt and you think, yeah, I'm probably not going to get ahead of them anytime soon. <laughs> but Curacao, I could play some international competitions, play in the Gold Cup. Why not? I'll get to go to the United States. Let's make that happen. I think there's, there is appeal in a number of different ways for uh, Dutch, Dutch Curacaoian Curacaoian? I don't even know what it would be. But players who could play for Gosedink at Curacao. <laughs> I think maybe we'll see some more players end up over there. I've got to say, I like the rise of Curacao as well. Because mm-hmm. even though we fell on our faces in 2017, I still think there's an argument that we're better off if CONCACAF yep. is stronger. I, mm-hmm. I want another competitive team in CONCACAF. And I think if Curacao really get it together... They could be one of those, you know, top five, top six teams that are that are always trouble. And I know, I remember the reaction in the Gold Cup when we only beat them 1-0. It was a lot of people were sort of fire belter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think even in that game, you saw that Curacao had quite a lot to offer and they're really, really onto something. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm like taking this maybe 10 steps too far, but whatever, I'll do it anyway. Like we also, if you look at them as being uh, like they've got Gus Hennink coming in, if you have more players from the Eredivisie or from the Netherlands coming over with that sort of European connection, you're getting more of a European style and more European pedigree. And that's another sort of different style, different system, different approach for the U.S. to have to deal with in qualifying or in friendlies or in the Gold Cup. That yeah. just different looks from stronger teams helps the U.S. get better. So even from that perspective, I'm excited about it. Okay, so we're all excited about Curacao unless they beat us in the octagonal. (laughs) Well, then there's that. (laughs) Anything else you would like to add, Taylor? Oh, I've got a bit of news, which is that Ronald Koeman is now officially Barcelona coach. But um, I'll be getting into that next week with a guest who is more knowledgeable than us about La Liga. That is fair. Other other than I've enjoyed that since then... Uh, every player on Barcelona is either leaving or staying, and every Dutch player ever is now linked with Barcelona. <laughs> um, one player, I, I guess one other thing to add from me, not related to Barcelona, but another player who's been linked back with another club would be Weston McKinney. The oh, rumors yeah. is back on with Southampton. Uh, they seem to have escalated, and I can't tell if that's because there's genuine fire where there's smoke, or if it's because he basically, it sounds like, did not want to go to Hertha Berlin, did not want to stay in the Bundesliga, wanted to move to the Premier League. They're the Premier League club that's been linked with him the most strongly, so now they're back to the front of the rumor mill. So we've been through the pros and the cons, thanks to Karl Anker, yeah. of Weston McKenney to <laughs> Southampton. I'm still excited for it if it happens. I still think it's a great place for him to land, and I would... I mean, it would give me another team to tune in and watch, right, uh, next season in the Premier League. I believe I'm correct in saying that, at the very least, Schalke were losing to a third or fourth division German team in their preseason friendly most recently. So I think any place that isn't Schalke, I am fine with, <laughs> which is sad because I enjoy Schalke. I like Schalke as a club. Uh, I tend to root for them in the Bundesliga, but I don't tend to root for them when it means that Weston McKinney is going to be playing uh, for a team that is not particularly good and therefore doesn't make him particularly good. You know what I've just realised? Carl um, hmm. Anker recently at The Athletic um, moved from covering Southampton. He's now right. a Manchester United writer mm-hmm. for The Athletic, which I'm sure he's very, very happy about. But this rumour seems to have bubbled up as Carl Anker has left the Southampton beat. I there think Carl Anker was suppressing information. I think he probably was. I think it's the only <laughs> logical course of action is that we investigate this and really file some charges yep um senate committee should be formed <laughs> and we'll investigate carl anker suppressing transfer rumors oh boy oh boy 
international conflict. We're creating one here. And it doesn't involve a drunken uh, bar fight, so that's good. <laughs> All right, you brought us full circle, Taylor, so that's definitely time I try. to wrap up the show. I will close by saying, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. Enjoy the Champions League final, and we'll be back Sunday night to review all the action. Hello, audio only. Audio only. Cost extra to see my face. I mean, I'd pay it. <laughs> Seven million dollars. I would not pay that.